0: European Hearts Journal issue at a glance, volume 38, issue 20, focus issue on prevention by Editor in Chief Professor Thomas Lucia. Prevention Further insights on age and lipids. Age is an obvious risk factor with overwhelming weight in all risk scores. Recent basic research showed that ageing is a genetic process facilitated by some genes such as those encoding for the adaptor protein P66SHC, and delayed by other genes such as those encoding for proteins of the sirtuin family. Of note, they modulate the effects of cardiovascular risk factors such as hypertension, lipids, and diabetes, as well as stroke, and the function of progenitor cells, suggesting that they represent a final common pathway of cardiovascular dysfunction. Although anti-aging genetic and pharmacological strategies are on the horizon, it will take years until effective approaches reach clinical practice. However, in risk assessment for preventive measures, age is already of crucial importance. This focus issue on prevention begins with two current opinion articles. The first is entitled Should We Reconsider the Role of Age in Treatment Allocation for Primary Prevention of Cardiovascular Disease?, authored by Martin J. G. Leining and colleagues from the University Medical Center Rotterdam in the Netherlands. In their contribution, the authors note that clinical practice guidelines for primary prevention of cardiovascular disease are centred on a high-risk approach. The current role of cardiovascular risk assessment in clinical practice is twofold. First, it serves as a starting point for risk communication between physicians and patients. Secondly, it is used as the primary mode to select candidates for lipid-lowering treatment. Based on an individual's age and risk factor profile, Cardiovascular disease risk calculators provide clinicians with an estimate of the individual's probability for developing cardiovascular disease in the coming 10 years. Since cardiovascular disease is highly age-related, age is the strongest predictor for cardiovascular disease in such calculators. Rod Jackson and colleagues from Auckland University in New Zealand respond in their contribution should we reconsider the role of age in treatment allocation for primary prevention of cardiovascular disease, no, but we can improve risk communication metrics. They note that the opinion piece by Laning and colleagues represents one of the two main opposing views on the role of age in cardiovascular disease risk prediction scores and for determining risk-reducing treatment thresholds. They raise concerns about the dominance of age in cardiovascular disease risk prediction scores and proposed the use of two new risk metrics that do not rely on age. In contrast, Wald and colleagues have advocated that for simplicity, age rather than multivariable predicted risk should be the sole criterion used to determine eligibility for treatment. The two opposing views highlight a controversial issue in risk assessment, which is a topic that requires further attention and research. In the mid-1990s, the days of lipoprotein A were numbered, and many people would not have placed a bet on this lipid particle making it to the next century. In a clinical review article entitled Lipoprotein A, The Revenant, François Mach and colleagues from the Foundation for Medical Research in Geneva, Switzerland, note that genetic studies brought lipoprotein A back to centre stage after a Mendelian randomization approach used for the first time provided strong support for a causal role of high lipoprotein A concentrations in cardiovascular disease, as also stressed by the recent ESC guidelines for the management of dyslipidemias, and later, also for aortic valve stenosis. This encouraged the use of therapeutic interventions to lower lipoprotein A. So far, most therapeutic approaches mainly targeted LDL cholesterol, while the lipoprotein A lowering effect was only a desired side effect. Several drug developments did show a potent lipoprotein A lowering effect, but did not make it to endpoint studies mainly for safety reasons. Currently, three therapeutic approaches are either already in place or look highly promising. First, lipid apheresis, specific or unspecific for lipoprotein A, markedly decreases the concentrations of the lipoprotein as well as cardiovascular endpoints. Second, PCSK9 inhibitors, which besides lowering ldl cholesterol also decreased lipoprotein a by roughly 30% and third antisense therapy targeting apolipoprotein a which has shown to specifically lower lipoprotein a concentrations by up to 90% in phase 1 and 2 trials without influencing other lipids until the results of phase 3 outcome studies are available for antisense therapy we will have to exercise patience but can be optimistic, as we have never had the tools we have now, to prove Koch's extrapolated postulate that lowering high lipoprotein A concentrations might be protective against cardiovascular disease. In a research paper entitled Aphoresis as Novel Treatment for Refractory Angina with Raised Lipoprotein A, a Randomised Controlled Crossover Trial, Dudley J. Pennell and colleagues from the Royal Brompton Hospital in London, UK, determined the impact of lipoprotein aphoresis in 20 patients with refractory angina and raised lipoprotein A above 500 mg per litre on the primary endpoint of quantitative myocardial perfusion as well as secondary endpoints including atheroma burden, exercise capacity, symptoms and quality of life. They conducted a single-blinded, randomized controlled trial of three months of blinded weekly lipoprotein aphoresis, or SHAM, followed by crossover. Myocardial perfusion reserve increased by 63% with aphoresis. Aphoresis also improved atherosclerotic burden as assessed by total carotid wall volume, exercise capacity by the 6-minute walk test, as well as four of five domains of the Seattle Angina Questionnaire and Quality of Life Physician Component Summary by the Short Form 36 survey. The authors conclude that lipoprotein aphoresis may represent an effective novel treatment for patients with refractory angina and raised lipoprotein A. The clinical implications of their findings are discussed in an editorial by Arnold von Eckhardstein from the University Hospital in Zurich, Switzerland. Not only high levels of lipoprotein A are genetic, but more commonly, even mutations of the LDL receptor and of proprotein convertase subtilizin slash kexin type 9 or PCSK9. These are commonly associated with clinical signs such as xanthoma and or family history and a positive familial hypercholesterolemia mutation status the value of such signs on the risk of coronary artery disease over and above that predicted by low density lipoprotein or ldl cholesterol level alone has not been fully determined yet in a first research paper impact of clinical signs and genetic diagnosis of familial hypercholesterolemia on the prevalence of coronary artery disease in patients with severe hypercholesterolemia masakazu yamagishi and colleagues from the Kanazawa University Graduate School of Medicine in Japan assessed whether positive clinical signs and genetic familial hypercholesterolemia diagnosis affected coronary artery disease risk among subjects with significantly elevated LDL cholesterol levels, i.e. above or equal 180 mg per deciliter, or above or equal to 140 mg per deciliter in subjects less than 15 years of age. Three genes causative for familial hypercholesterolemia, LDLR, APOB, and PCSK9 were sequenced in 636 patients with severe hypercholesterolemia and the presence of clinical familial hypercholesterolemia signs were assessed. Coronary artery disease prevalence was compared between four subject groups categorised based on these parameters. Compared with the reference group without familial hypercholesterolemia mutations or clinical signs of familial hypercholesterolemia, subjects with clinical signs of familial hypercholesterolemia or familial hypercholesterolemia mutations had three to four fold higher odds of developing coronary artery disease, whereas those with clinical signs of familial hypercholesterolemia and familial hypercholesterolemia mutations had more than 11-fold higher odds of developing coronary artery disease after adjusting for known risk factors, including LDL cholesterol. Thus, these findings revealed an additive effect of positive clinical signs of familial hypercholesterolemia and a positive familial hypercholesterolemia mutation status to coronary artery disease risk among patients with significantly elevated LDL cholesterol. The clinical impact of these findings are discussed further in a thoughtful editorial by Borger Groner Nordesgaard from Herlev University Hospital in Denmark. Today, atherosclerosis is considered a chronic inflammatory process of the large conduit arteries in the coronary, cerebrovascular, and peripheral circulation. Migration of monocytes into the arterial wall contributes to arterial inflammation and atherosclerosis progression. Since elevated LDL-C levels have been associated with activation of plasma monocytes, intense LDL-C lowering may reverse these pro-inflammatory changes. In a second clinical research manuscript entitled PCSK9 monoclonal antibodies reverse the pro-inflammatory profile of monocytes in familial hypercholesterolemia, Eric S.G. Strohs and colleagues from the Academic Medical Center in Amsterdam, the Netherlands, further assessed this issue. Using PCSK9 monoclonal antibodies, which selectively reduce LDL-C, they studied the impact of LDLC lowering on monocyte phenotype and function in 22 patients with familial hypercholesterolemia, off statins, with an LDL cholesterol of 6.8 mmol per litre and 18 healthy controls with an LDL cholesterol of 2.9 mmol per litre. Monocyte chemokine receptor, or CCR-2, expression was three-fold higher in familial hypercholesterolemics compared with controls. CCR2 expression correlated significantly with plasma LDLC levels and was positively associated with intracellular lipid accumulation. Monocytes from familial hypercholesterolemics also displayed enhanced migratory capacity ex vivo. After 24 weeks of PCSK9 monoclonal antibody treatment, Plasma LDLC was reduced by 49%, which coincided with reduced intracellular lipid accumulation and reduced CCR2 expression. Further, the enhanced migratory capacity of monocytes was reversed following PCSK9 monoclonal antibody therapy. Thus, Monocytes of familial hypercholesterolemics have a pro-inflammatory phenotype which is dampened by LDL-C lowering by PCSK9 inhibition, suggesting that LDL-C lowering itself is associated with anti-inflammatory effects on circulating monocytes. These intriguing effects are critically discussed in an editorial by Matthias Nahrendorf from Harvard Medical School in Massachusetts, USA. The protective vascular effects of high-density lipoproteins, or HDLC, are lost in several cardiovascular conditions. In particular, HDLC obtained from patients with chronic kidney disease induces endothelial dysfunction due to carbamylation and accumulation of symmetric dimethylarginine. In a third clinical research article entitled Symmetric Dimethyl Arginine high-density lipoproteins, and cardiovascular disease, Timotheus Speer and colleagues from the Saarland University Hospital in Hamburg, Germany, determined the impact of the accumulation of symmetric dimethyl arginine on the association between high-density lipoproteins, or HDLC, and mortality in the Luric study, including 3,310 subjects undergoing coronary angiography. During a median follow-up of 9.9 years, all-cause mortality was 30%. Serum symmetric dimethyl arginine levels significantly predicted all-cause and cardiovascular mortality, and were significantly correlated with symmetric dimethylarginine accumulation in HDLC. Notably, higher serum symmetric dimethyl arginine was independently associated with lower cholesterol efflux, reflecting impaired high-density lipoprotein functionality. In subjects with low symmetric dimethyl arginine levels, higher HDLC was associated with significantly lower mortality. In contrast, in subjects with high symmetric dimethyl arginine, HDLC was associated with higher mortality. These findings were confirmed in 1,424 participants of the monica cora s 3 cohort. Further, they provided in vitro evidence that symmetric dimethyl arginine accumulation abolishes the anti-inflammatory and regenerative properties of HDLC. Thus, symmetric dimethyl arginine represents a marker of HDLC dysfunction in patients with chronic kidney disease. While the protective effects of statins are well established, there have been recent suggestions that the drugs may also protect from venous thromboembolism, but the evidence is inconsistent. Thus, Sator K. Kunutzor and colleagues from the University of Cambridge in the UK performed a meta-analysis entitled Statins and Secondary Prevention of Venous Thromboembolism Pooled Analysis of Published Observational Cohort Studies to clarify the issue. All relevant studies which reported associations between statin use and recurrent venous thromboembolism outcomes were identified from Medline Embase, Web of Science, and Manual Search of Bibliographies, from inception to January 2017. Eight eligible studies comprising of 103,576 participants and 13,168 recurrent venous thromboembolism outcomes were included. In a pooled analysis of seven studies, the relative risk for recurrent venous thromboembolism was 0.73 when comparing statin use with no use, with no evidence of heterogeneity. The relative risks of recurrent pulmonary embolism in three studies and deep vein thrombosis in two studies, comparing statin use with non statin use, were 0.75 and 0.66, respectively. Thus, the available evidence from observational cohort studies suggests a beneficial effect of statin use on venous thromboembolism recurrence. Well designed intervention studies are needed to corroborate these findings. The editors hope that this issue of the European Hearts Journal will find the interest of its readers.